Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you by Antonio Sanchiolo, Michael Krug, Eric Trevarthen, Christian Walker, Tony Bishop, Renee Christensen, Melanie Nizelrod, Raymond Caritas, Michael Feywiger, and Russell Cat. Do you wow. really screw up Melanie? Yes, of all the names. I was just, Eric, I was just like Eric Trevarthen. It was, <laughs> it was just, it was butchered. It was bumped in between Trevarthen and Christensen, Christians, a, a fine substitute, Christensen <laughs> and Nasalrod. That was just a, I, actually. I think that is how it's pronounced. I know yes. it's just two weird names, mm-hmm. like Milani Nasalrod. Yes. <laughs> all right, this she's one a, goes out a, to you. She's an elf now. Yes. Spoilers theme song. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Pod on on the air. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod pod podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. You're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 510 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Uh, all Zach on film. Uh, you know, we are, uh, some people uh, said, hey, you guys remember back in your very first episode how you guys said you were only going to do this once a week and now you're doing the Major Spoilers Podcast twice a week. Well, guess what? We're going to end that pretty dang soon. Mm. Ding, dang, diddly. We're going to make Zach on film its own standalone show. Mm-hmm. People uh, saw a thing that uh, we did a couple of weeks ago, finally Friday. We'd like to make that a regular show. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, but uh, Zach on film this week is Pulp Fiction, and you got that figured out there, Zach? I don't think so. Zach is trying to work his microphone. So, Zach, I'm just gonna raise when, when you, there we go. Yeah, when you have a boom stand mm-hmm. like that, you have to figure out which way it tightens and then configure yes. it so that gravity is going in the opposite direction of that so that it actually tightens itself with gravity. Yes. So I'm going to does. bet that you probably yeah, need to rotate. Pro- yeah, you probably need to rotate. You need to loosen up the boom arm. Yeah. And then rotate everything up. And then no. which way is making it more loose? Okay. So that way is with tightening it up. Yep. Yeah. So keep tightening it up. We're going to do a new podcast, a video podcast <laughs> called the... Yes. Uh, Zach on production. Watch Zach equipment. screw up really simple equipment. Yep. All right. So Rodrigo, you're back in the studio again. This I am. Week. I am. Uh, people have been asking for weeks now. Yeah. When's Rodrigo coming back into the studio? Because we love the crisp, clear sound of uh, Stephen processing the heck out of your your voice. Well, it's it's better when you don't have to process the heck out of my voice. It's being um, processed right now through um, our compressor well, limiters. Well, that, that's that's fine because throwing in a little limiter here or there is not a big deal. Um, but having <laughs> having to surgically extract what essentially sounds like an aerosol can being shaken <laughs> inside a larger aerosol can is is actually problematic. And of course, last 
set of podcasts that we recorded, I wasn't here at all. Yeah, why was that? Um, I was out in uh, Wichita. Wichita that Wichita? time? Okay. Yep, shooting some uh, basketball mm-hmm. because the um, that uh, association of schools was like, hey, who wants to do our basketball games? And uh, all the PBS stations were like, meh, except for us. And we're like, we'll do it. We need the money. <laughs> we need the money, please. Well, we would love to have you here on every single episode. And so, uh, Rodrigo, how can we ensure that you're here every single episode? He said ham-fistedly. Yes. If you would like to ensure that uh, I, Rodrigo, am here with the highest audio quality possible and also the highest amount of me being here possible, um, you can do a handful of things. First off, um, if you like buying stuff, you can always go to the Major Spoilers website. That's Majorspoilers.com. And click on the Amazon link and then buy whatever you were going to buy on Amazon anyway. For example, maybe a copy of Pulp Fiction. Maybe a copy of Pulp Fiction. Maybe a new boom mic after all of the... uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, boom stands. I think they're like uh, $52 on uh, Amazon. After after all of the um, locks have been stripped. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so had that boom stand for five weeks, and now i got to buy a new one. Thanks, Zach. Well, um, the response, uh, Zach, is, that's what I'm here for, sure, sir. Well, it's just that Robert Go hasn't been here since I don't think we've got yeah, that's it. Right, we that's right. We had the setup. That's He's a, been here. Yeah, that's I bought right. that so mic- that's why. I bought a new microphone just for Zach so that when all three of us are here, Zach has the same clear mm-hmm, fidelity, mm-hmm. and then Rodrigo doesn't show up for yep, 12 so, weeks. So Zach has been sitting on, on my chair, mm-hmm. um, which which explains, I think, why the back is so tight. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's one of the things you can do is buy cool stuff, um, through us and it's no additional cost to you and we'll get some, uh, cash out of the deal from Amazon. Uh, the other thing you can do, and one thing that we would like for you to consider is to make a recurring donation to major spoilers. Um, all it takes is you going to, there's a button for it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, right right on over the on the right side. And just follow the instructions. Right there. under our, our funding goat. Yep. And um, you can make a $2, a $5, or a $10 donation. Um, and I think you can actually set up different amounts of donations. But sure. those are the levels that we um, we feel are going to be most comfortable for people. We have a goal that if we get a certain number of um, $5 donations, we should be able to... to have Rodrigo here yes. all the time. We can do major spoilers full-time, <laughs> um, and that means that I will be here for every podcast, and also I will you will see more stuff from me on the site because, oh, yeah. you know, honestly, my presence on the site is meager Yeah, because I just do not have time to write stuff for the show. People want to see more of those casual 60s, some deck right. recommendations. Go you know, get some more of that. And, and yes, that will mean more gaming stuff, more magic stuff, more D&D stuff. And probably just, um, I don't know, more dinosaur stuff. I'll, oh, I'll see what I can find. Yeah. And, and kind of tying back into Zach on film this week, anytime we need an article from Rodrigo, I can just yell over my shoulder, bring out the gimp. Yep. And Rodrigo will come out. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. The master would like mm-hmm. to see you now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's how everyone can help us. It can help us take major spoilers to the next level and get this Zach on film thing underway yeah hey this week on zach on film from 1994 quentin tarantino's pulp fiction were you born in 1994 
I was. My parents debated on taking me to this movie. Really? Seriously? No, not a chance. I, was, I can't <laughs> no, imagine you were like five chance. or six. I was three. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty close. So uh, I remember when I saw the <laughs> like, most of the <laughs> most of the stuff we feed him is pulp. <laughs> take him to this. That's why his colon is so. I funny, did right? actually yeah. look and like sometimes I go uh, to IMDb and they like do the parental guidance thing. I just look at to see what they list on the thing, mm-hmm. just because I think it's fun sometimes. And they said fifteen and plus for this movie. Yeah, that doesn't even hit like the rating MPA get him. Yeah, which is interesting. So the first time I saw this, <laughs> I mean, we had no idea what uh, Pulp Fiction was about. I mean, mm-hmm. you saw maybe a trailer in a movie theater, mm-hmm. but we didn't see stuff on... I don't remember seeing television commercials of this. Maybe you did, Rodrigo. No, did you go to theater to see this, or are you too young? No, I was too young. So um, it, it wasn't until years later that I finally saw it on video. So our uh, movie... Th- we used to have two movie theaters here in town. Oh, uh, yeah. We have the mall mm-hmm. theater oh. that back then was two theaters. Maybe it was four. No, it was two still. And Two then, screens. And then the haunted movie theater. And then we had the Fox Theater, Fox. which was an old uh, movie house theater. Yeah. And it still had two screens there. It used to be a big open balcony that would go down in one, mm-hmm. one theater. And then they closed that off, I don't know when. And so you have a screen upstairs and you have a screen downstairs. And the screen upstairs still had kind of balcony seating. It was probably the best one to sit at. Mm-hmm. And because of uh, the balcony arrangement, they had a, a what is it, the uh, aisle right in front uh before you go down to the to the stuff closer to the stage and the stuff that went up. And that was always the best place to sit because no one would walk in front of you. Mm. I remember going to see Pulp Fiction and uh, sat down, and I forget who I went with. Maybe uh, Scroll Brian and I went and see it mm-hmm. together. I remember there was a couple of us uh, that went to see it. And who walks in just before the movie starts? Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Even better, the no. president of our university <laughs> and his wife. And we had no idea what was going on. And then about 15 minutes into the film, the president and his wife <laughs> exit the theater. Awesome. Epic. Why, young Zach, would uh, um, the, the president and his wife uh, exit the theater? Now, are, they still, are they still the same president and wife? Same, same president. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> same president. Nice. nice. Not, not the same wife. <laughs> <laughs> the less said about that on this show is probably good. All right, all right. Uh, well... Probably, I'm going to guess he got up and left because of the very, oh, let's say mature nature of Pulp Fiction. Well, the first uh, first 10 minutes, you have a very lengthy discussion of oral sex and how to perform oral sex on yes, a woman. Yes, that is true. And uh, that may have been the trigger. As well as, maybe we should, There's a, maybe this needs to have an explicit tag if you haven't figured it out already. Because there is a lot yeah. of foul language in... Pulp Fiction. And especially when Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta get <laughs> oh, going, it gets pretty vulgar. At oh, times. yeah. Um, and that's basically, you know, your opening scene is two guys driving in a car talking about. Uh, um, well, the opening scene is that the diner. Well, yeah. And the yeah, diner. yeah, the little prologue thing. But it's. Pretty it's short. not. It's pretty. It's not. And you really don't five, know. I mean, you've minutes. got the, the bunny. The Bonnie situation is where it starts out, where they're talking about. You know, let's do this. I love you so much. Yeah, let's yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah. All right, I mean, you, know, you mother yeah. effers, do this. I'm going to kill every last effing one of you. Boom, ba boom, 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 boom. Hey, and then you get into the uh, yeah to the first story. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, give us a rundown. Give us a story wise on uh, on Pulp Fiction. Well, Pulp Fiction is 
divided a pretty hard line into this three big major chunks. Uh, the first one is John Travolta and Samuel Jackson's characters, uh, Vincent and Jules. They uh, are some muscle for an L.A. crime uh, lord, and they're trying to uh, fix some little guys in their organization who... I don't know quite what they did. It's never really, really explained. They just they, stole, they just did they did they steal it? They, they stole Mister. They took the money Wallace's, from Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. Well, they took whatever whatever it was. that we is. Don't wanna... Yeah, yeah. Whatever in the whatever's in briefcase. the briefcase. Right. And so their story is pretty much Marcellus is sending them out to get back what is his from these little twenty-year-olds uh, that decided to mess with a very big bad man. And so that story starts off, and then you go to uh, Vincent Vega has to take Wallace's wife out because he's leaving, and he wants his wife to be occupied. You mean like taking out Bang Bang? Oh, no, no, no. Taking out to a nice little diner oh, okay. and having some uh, some nice burgers and a $5 milkshake and doing a $5 milkshake? Yeah. That's kind of like, <laughs> in comparison to 1994, $5 milkshake is actually quite cheap. Right, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what a good milkshake now is about five or six bucks. You know, a little milk. Yeah, it'd probably. Be, I mean, it'd be like normal now. Yeah, back yeah. then I can see it'd be very expensive. I yeah. mean, back then five bucks would get you into the evening matinee at the movie theater, right? The me- evening show. So, what else goes on? Um, a lot of drugs in that part. Really, a lot of some uh, heroin. What? Yep, and some bad language. Some coke. Heroin. Then uh, next story is Bruce Willis's character boxer. He's supposed to um, lose. He's supposed to take a fall in mm-hmm. a fight. His career's running out. Marcellus wants him to take a fall. He doesn't. Actually, ends up killing the other guy in the ring. And now he is trying to leave L.A. with his wife to start a better life, but she forgot his father's watch and then that story plays out yeah he uh and what's really interesting as we get into the big narrative of the story is um bruce willis's character Mm -hmm. butch goes back to the apartment looking for his gold watch there he runs into john travolta's character shoots him dead right kills him as able to make it out has a series of incidents um unfortunate incidents where he and marsalis are uh Marcellus are, are captured, raped, sodomized by a bunch of hillbillies. And at the end of that act, it's uh, you leave town, Butch, and we never want to see you in this town again. Mm-hmm. Zed's dead, baby Zed's dead, right? Uh, and then we get back into the Bonnie situation. Yes. Uh, from there, <laughs> <laughs> then there, it's back to the apartment of them um, taking care of these young guys. And they continue on from there. And they have who one of their inside guys they put with these uh, guys that did Wallace bad. Marvin. Yeah, Marvin, who's uh, Phil Lamar, which was kind of funny. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In hindsight, yes. Yeah. Uh, They're driving along and talking, talking, talking. Travolta leans to the back with his gun, and there's a bump or something. His gun goes off, and uh, Marvin's head is... All over the car now, in very many pieces. 
And they got to get uh, the situation taken care of. They can't be seen driving in L.A. with right. uh, brains scattered all over the back window. <laughs> mm-hmm. They go to their nearest friend, Jimmy, played by Quentin Tarantino. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if uh, Jimmy's wife comes home, Bonnie, and sees, what is it, two hoodlums standing in my car with a dead body in the trunk, there's going to be a situation. So they call in <laughs> Mr. The Wolf. The Wolf. The, the wolf. wolf. Sorry, just, just The Wolf, played by um, Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. Uh, another staple in kind of Quentin Tarantino yep. films. And uh, he comes in, tells him what to do, cleans it up. Um, they end up at the the restaurant, that same restaurant that the film opens with, mm-hmm. and that plays out the Honey Bunny Pumpkin situation um, with, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer mm-hmm. are in that. And uh, the amazing thing is, didn't we just see John Travolta get killed? Why is he alive in the next act? Sure. And then, Rodrigo, that brings up into the overall narrative discussion of this film. The right. story is completely told out of order. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's chronologically completely out of order. Um, you see things happen, and then we go back before they happen. Um, you find out that, you know, the very first scene in the movie, which at first seems completely unrelated, is just technically the 10th scene in the movie. Right, right, right. Um, and if seen chronologically, it would make some amount of sense. Yeah, I guess uh, they've got it. There's seven scenes in the movie, the prologue that takes place at the diner, the prelude to Vincent Vega and Marsalis's wife, uh, or Wallace's wife, uh, Vincent Vega and his wife, the prelude to the gold watch, the gold watch, the Bonnie situation, and the epilogue. If you put them in the chronological order that they go, it would be like uh, story four, story two, story six, story one, story seven, story three, Continue back to story right. four and then five, which is really kind of mm-hmm. wiki wacky. Mm-hmm. Why does that work? Why employ this? Let's tell the story out of order. It's a it's it's a dangerous tool to use because you risk losing your audience. But oh yeah, it's a an effective tool because it builds interest. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I mean, I'm not taking. I don't want to take anything away from Pulp Fiction itself as a as a movie or the story or anything. Right, not the but, first time we've seen this. But you know, it's it's a story about you know some mobsters and um, you know their their mishaps and a lot of tangents. But if you take that story and you play it out of order and people are trying to figure out what's happening, it's a lot more rewarding when you figure out who a character is or what their involvement is mm-hmm. than if you're watching it in order. So you kind of build this secondary system to reward the viewer for paying attention. And there are people that I really just eat that up, uh, myself included. Actually. Oh, yeah. it really. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this situation, it really works well. And I say this isn't the first time we've seen this. I mm-hmm. mean, for me, it was the first time I'd seen this where we're telling the story out of order. I think the only, and I have to go back and look at some release dates, but the only other film that I remember kind of doing the same thing in the same time period was 1201, mm-hmm. which was uh, Jim Jaramusch's uh, uh, movie, where um, it tells a story about events that happen around the world at 1201. Mm -hmm. um, And they all line up, and all the stories kind of interconnect in a kind of very broad way. But there are a bunch of little short stories that have this hook of, we've told you the story, let's back up an hour, and let's tell you the story again. Um, You know, if you want to look at, I mean, a a lot of the movies that employed similar techniques are straight up like science fiction time travel movies. Right, right, right. Where you you see things out of order, because you have the protagonist's point of view, and he's seeing things out of order. Right. 
And um, you've seen Citizen Kane, right, Zach? Yeah. Citizen Kane right. kind of employs yeah. the same thing because right. we're seeing Kane's life told by one person, which may include Kane as a young person, mm-hmm. Kane as an old person. Mm-hmm. Now well, let's go interview someone else. Oh, yes, here's Kane as this middle-aged person. Right. And oh, yeah, I remember this story from when he was a young person, and we're employing that technique as, there as well. So usually... Um, prior to Pulp Fiction, and you know, maybe there have been others that that did it before Pulp Fiction, but um, really, prior to Pulp Fiction, usually filmmakers needed a motivation to tell a story out of right, order. Right. Whereas Pulp Fiction just does it for no reason other than that is the way that the story is. Right. Um. So no disjointed amnesiac. No. When did Memento came out? It came out two thousand. Yeah. I just so I just looked well. it up. So okay. it's like. Four, like five or six years after. So if yeah, we're looking yeah. for something that may have an influence, right. certainly Memento for Nolan does that, where you're telling the story not only out of order, but backwards through yep. time. Yep, exactly. So, you know, stuff like that. And, and the, again, it's, it, it really is just Tarantino being like, I want to tell this story out of order. Woo! And like, he just does it. It's effective. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody thinks it's awesome. Pretty much, and Cause, cause, again, because a lot reviews, of people yes, take that. Everybody loved Pulp Fiction. So, were you in college then when this was on V on the VHS? I don't. Uh, oh, yeah, I probably it probably was in college when I first saw it. Um, but it had already been out for. It had already years. been out. For, How old were you in ninety four? Um, I don't remember. Ten, eleven. Yep, eleven. Okay, so still quite a few years later before you saw it yep. in college. And were there already a lot of because I know whenever I went to school, mm-hmm. we saw Pulp Fiction, and then we saw it again, and then from that point on, all anyone could think about was, how can I make a film like, like Pulp, Pulp Fiction? Fiction? Yeah. And so there was our, you know, this is the first generation of people mm-hmm. that saw this, and it's like, okay, how is this going to influence us? Right. How can we tell a story out of order? How can we tell these interesting angles? For me, it was all about story, especially when we talk about the Pulp novel itself, mm-hmm. where you've got these very cheap stories mm-hmm. told uh, and often containing fantastical elements like the briefcase, which mm-hmm. you could look at as a um, – at one point I thought that that may have been Wallace's eyes were in there because mm-hmm. all the way up in, in the movie, if even if you watch it in chronological order, you always see Wallace from the back or he's always wearing uh, eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. After they get the um, briefcase and the gold watch story plays out. When we get into the Gold Watch story, then you see Wallace's nice. eyes. So to me, it's always like, mm-hmm. what is this fantastical element right. that is in here? And everybody's always wondered what that is. Yeah. So that's what drew me into the story. But a lot of people are always like, how can we use the same snappy dialogue right, right. that mm-hmm. uh, Tarantino employs throughout all of his movies? Right. How can we use the same kind of gangster characters that we see in um, Vincent and um, um, what was Jules? Jackson's kid, Jules uh, characters? Um, you don't really see a lot of Willis imitators in in uh, that came out of uh, this. No, no, he's pretty much a guy who gets sodomized. But is, is his well, arc. actually, he doesn't. He oh, doesn't. right, yeah. he escapes. He yeah. You're right. Um, oh, there's so much to talk about. It, just real quick divergence <laughs> in the Gold Watch. The best scene, in my opinion, in the well, there's so many good scenes, but one of the ones that always stands out is here is Butch running away from the pawn shop, and his arch nemesis is being raped down in the basement and he's almost down. He's like, you know what? I can't do this. And so he's looking for something to mm-hmm. knock these guys out or to help Wallace out. And he grabs a hammer and then he starts <laughs> to walk. And a few steps later, he's like, 
oh, baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he starts swinging around, and as he swings and looks up, he sees chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's doing that, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I found the perfect weapon. And you just cut. And it's it's perfect because it's like <laughs> the weapons just keep getting bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. I was bigger laughing and so hard. And it's such scene. a funny little scene. Yeah. But, you know, you don't, I mean, you see people imitating Quentin Tarantino's style a lot. We mm-hmm. talked about that in Kill Bill. Um, and Vega and Jules characters are often imitated right uh, throughout just because they're, they stand out mm-hmm. so much. Um, when you got into mm-hmm. school, then you would be second generation yep. people who would see this. You wouldn't, I mean, I mean you're not uh, even first generation. Like, you are second generation yeah. of influence. From our, Tarantino. yes. Our teachers saw Pulp Fiction before they you know, when they were, like, graduating from right, college right, right. and stuff. Yeah, my age, right. Right. Old people. Yes. <laughs> Ancient. The ancients, as I like to refer to them. We do not speak So, um, yeah, I mean, I had teachers, like, I had a um, script writing teacher who showed us the, the script for Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. He's like, so through script writing, here's what he's conveying. Right. You know, and, and it the, the actual script for Pulp Fiction is cool mm-hmm. you know because that movie is just so cool in every way right, right, on right. top of it the script itself is cool because he does things like you know when he's like talking to them and he's like comprende like the the direction that follows is they comprende <laughs> and, you know things like that like the, the script itself is also written in such a way that it complements the movie right um that said i did run into a few of my classmates who clearly Really wanted to be the next Quentin Tarantino what? by imitating I'm, the Quentin Tarantino I'm, aesthetic as I'm close curious. as possible. So when I graduated, I went down to Atlanta. I was doing a bunch of production work, but I was also teaching part-time at uh, university. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those kids were just like total Tarantino devotees. Oh, yeah. And I would say probably, I'd probably say around 30% of them were just nothing but Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Is that about the percentage that you had in your classes? Or no, was it was or lower. It was lower for us um, because like, you guys were squares living up there in the. Um, kind of. Uh, I the think northeastern. I, I think to a certain degree, it was the Tarantino kids, the art kids, mm. and the kids who were doing film because of like um, an assortment of reasons, mm-hmm. like either because they wanted to go into the industry but not be filmmakers. Right, and right. they figured a film degree was the best way to do that. Like they wanted oh, to they be like, do like technical. Yeah. Techni- exactly. Yeah. Technical stuff. And actually we had one, like I knew a girl who was like a business film double major because she wanted to be like a producer, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. like a film producer that doesn't like That's touch keep, any sort we're of doing equipment. a business minor, right? Say, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, exactly. So, um, stuff like that. And then like me, you know, a handful of people who are like me who are just like, well, film seems like something to do that kind of hits the requirements of creative things right, and, right, right, right. you know, high paying job later, <laughs> potentially, clearly not, though, because I ended up working for PBS um, and and stuff like that. So by the time that I got into school, the overwhelming Tarantino influence had decreased, but the guys that were clearly there to become Quentin Tarantinos. Maybe you're were hmm. there and were visible. I wonder if then that makes you a third generation then. Because know. there was my generation and then five well, years if later. You, if you go by generation, you know, people graduate in four years. Right, right. Yeah. So how many years between ninety four and two thousand 
one when I when Six I started Six years, school. so... So it really yeah, would yeah. only be one, one full, full generation. Turn. Okay. Yeah, because I just remember those kids coming in and just like, oh, I'm going to do this like Tarantino, and I've got to have the violence, and I've got to have the blood and guts. And you still see that today. I mean, you go online and you look at uh, a bunch of YouTube videos, and I know that if you... Uh, Watch the series Film Riot. Do you watch Film Riot, Zach? Yeah, every once in a while. Um, you know, he is totally, uh, he is a uh, Tarantino devotee. Oh, yeah. To an extent, I mean, he has some other favorites. Nolan, I think, is his mm-hmm. favorite director. But you look at the shorts that they do, and they're very influenced by Tarantino's over-the-top violent style. Yeah, yeah definitely. The, yeah, the violence vibe. We had a lot, like, and, and, and for us, you could go around and be like, oh, I've, like... You know, pass around your scripts, everybody read them and give feedback. And reading through is like, oh, this guy, this script is about like a bunch of cool people hanging out and not doing anything but saying really cool things. <laughs> yes, yes, you, yes. You are a Kevin and Smith. Smith. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is like hyper violent and told out of order. You are a Quentin Tarantino. Right, right, it's like, right. This is also told out of order, but there's like a weird, pointless mystery. You are a, you know, either an Aronofsky <laughs> or, uh, well, no, actually, yeah, that's yeah, probably Aronofsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what were the groups that were the uh, um, Robert Rodriguez's? Uh, there kind of weren't, and I think those. I think more than anything, those got kind of lumped together with the Tarantinos. Tarantinos. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because it, you know, it's like high, high art, high violence mm-hmm. at the, you know, together kind of stuff. Is is I would say is that aesthetic. Um, but, um, you know, and we also got, like, guys who clearly wanted to be documentarians. Mm-hmm. And so any project that they did, they just went down to Chicago and found some sad, some home, like, home. something <laughs> sad, and made a movie about that. Heck, is this the first time you've seen Pulp Fiction? Yeah. I really? Bought, like, I, I bought it because I knew I should watch it, and I bought it on DVD, and then, like, three months later, I bought a Blu-ray player. Like, nah, blue DVDs. I need a Blu-ray. So then mm. I bought a Blu-ray copy of Pulp Fiction. And then it's just been sitting in my shelf for, oh, probably, like, eight months. Because I just haven't watched it. Wow. Okay, so... That happens. Uh, I mean, I haven't... I've seen it, but, like, I got a Blu-ray copy of um, Pan's Labyrinth, which mm-hmm. is a great movie. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't sat down to watch it. It's just But you've already there. seen Pan's I, Labyrinth. I have That's, seen it before. Yes. I think that's sometimes the effect of... Well, I've seen this movie. I want to own this movie so that I can sit down and watch it yeah. at any time that I want. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been that way with the, the 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 iTunes downloads. I want to sit down and watch this wherever I want, mm-hmm. whenever I want. I've amassed a huge collection of movies that I still haven't watched, mm-hmm. but I've seen previously. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, Zach, I'm very curious on your impression of this from the first time. I mean, the weird thing is, and this is something that happens a lot, is you've uh, the Tarantino thing happened over 20 years ago. We're close to 20 years ago now. Almost yeah. 20 years ago. Um, if you're counting Pulp Fiction as the yeah. flair. I mean, you can count Reservoir Dogs, Reservoir. but I mean, a lot of people... Yeah, Reservoir should, Dogs yeah. is, is not as popular as, as Pulp Fiction Well, because was. it wasn't it wasn't a wide release. Oh, I know I, we never I saw know. it. I remember when uh, Scroll Brian and I went and saw it, he was like, oh yeah, I was down at the video store and I found this other Tarantino movie you might find interesting, Reservoir Dogs. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? And uh, that's about the same time we discovered Clerks. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm, I'm, you know, this happens a lot. Where unfortunately, you've already seen the Tarantino influence. Number one, yeah. you've watched Kill Bill. Number two, you've watched Man with the Iron Fist. Number three, you're 21 years old, and okay. everything is influenced by Tarantino or has some yeah. influence on Tarantino. Yeah. So I'm curious what you thought of watching this, even though you've seen some other Tarantino works. Mm-hmm. Have you seen what Reservoir Dogs? I actually have. Okay, yeah. so 
you're really seeing this in a in a weird point. In a weird point. You're yeah, seeing yeah. it out of order. Yeah, it's weird. I almost I, like <clears throat> when I when I sit down to watch all these movies, I'm like, I really wish I could have watched them when they were released because they're such big. Because then cultural, you'd be an awesome time traveler, right? Right, and they're such big like cultural things, and they employed such techniques that are now common, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's like, oh well, I've seen that before, but. It's just 20 years after it's been done. Right. So, it, I mean, but no, I love this movie. Why? Why? Uh, the out of um, storytelling order was really cool after I thought about it last, uh, thought about it because it like circled almost. Right, right, right. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I love the dialogue in this one. And I feel like his dialogue has almost changed a little bit over time. It's not, it doesn't have the same speed as it does now. Like Django nowhere near as fast dialogue as mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction is. Mm. You know, you're probably right because, and if you've listened to Tarantino speak and you see interviews mm-hmm. of him over time, he does, he's kind of slowed he, down. He's he slowed down. Slowed yeah. down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, has. if you go back and watch the interviews from when Pulp Fiction came out, he was like, and it's like, slow down, man. And he's like, full of energy. And then when I did see him talking about Django, it was like he was more reserved and a little bit yeah, more... Yeah. And I don't. Maybe that's how it. Maybe that has had an influence in how he's directed. Because if you watch um, um, the grunge, the the Grindhouse film, what was it? Uh, what was it called Grindhouse? Um, Death, yeah. Proof. De- Death, Death Proof. Death Proof was his. Yeah. You've got that huge long sequence between the female character sitting in that diner, mm-hmm. and that sequence is a lot slower. Takes a lot longer to play out mm-hmm. than the Vincent and Jules scene in the in the diner. Mm-hmm. Um, where these discussions are not as quick back and forth bantery, mm-hmm. one could argue that that also has to do with the editing pace and and mm-hmm. and uh, who his editor is yeah. in Django or in Django compared to Pulp yeah. Fiction. So, mm-hmm. okay, what else? Um, what else did I like? Those were two really big things. I liked the story and the, the story and, and the dialogue. And the dialogue just the, just the overall like pace of the movie mm-hmm. because i watched this after i watched this on saturday after writing all day and then editing and then writing more oh yeah, yeah. i was like i'm gonna i'm not gonna make it through this this is almost a three-hour movie i started at 11 and oh, yeah. i like didn't stop it was so engaging the entire time I, I thought i was gonna like fall asleep and not to finish it on sunday no it was just now did your girlfriend watch this with you <laughs> no no. It, it, does she like? Would she like these kind of movies, not or is this a, not no. her thing? No, no, no. Is no. she only? We can only watch Disney animated films, kind of girl, or not? Uh, no. Not to put her down. No, but no, no, since no. I've never met her. Sure. Um, I watched. We watched Star Trek together, and she liked the new Star Trek. Um, I tried to get her to watch Pie, but she got really freaked. She <laughs> felt. She just felt like really weird. Like this, this is, is too this weird. Is the work of the devil. This is weird. I need to go to. And she just fell asleep. Um, no, she definitely wouldn't like this movie. Just she's not a she's not a big fan of like violence uh, and language. Yeah, violence and language is not her alley. Okay. And I was like, and I was trying to explain it to her like, IMDb had like and like two hundred and thirty seven f bombs. I was like, it's because Samuel L. Jackson's in that movie, and he's like motherfucking Samuel L. Jackson. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What about uh, what about use of music? Music is, plays an important role in this, especially uh, Dick Dale's uh, Miserlou. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, song that's again a song from the 60s right right yeah. but ha- uh, that has been like bonded with this movie like yeah, yeah, yeah. nowadays when you hear that song you think of pulp fiction right to the point where i think there's a pulp fiction joke in space jam 
and they play that song. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, let's That's see. Amazing. I'm trying to find out what year that that song was released. 1962. So, you know, that song's been around for a long time, and I knew it. I used to listen to That's Growing up in high school, that's all I listened to was like 50s and 60s music. Um, and I knew that song. So yeah. when I heard it, I was like, oh, this is a great piece. But then you listen in how it's put together, mm-hmm. and it's got a lot more crispness than listening to it on a vinyl or a cassette or over AM radio that it really pops and helps bring this movie to life and yeah. sets it up very quickly what this movie is about. It's hard driving. Mm-hmm. It is wild. It is It doesn't make a lot of, of control. Sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's beach music. Right. Right? But it's wild, out of control, freestyling, and that's kind of what this movie kind of kind of does. Mm-hmm. What else uh what else uh, strikes your your fancy in this uh, Zach? Oh. Uh like specific scenes I think that in well, the entire lead up to them walking to the, the, the guy's oh, apartment. Uh, apartment was mm-hmm. awesome with that really long take mm-hmm. walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was just a, I mean, obviously just a dialogue awesome scene. Um, the, all the drug stuff was really cool with when Emma Thurman comes in. Mm-hmm. Just uh, Eric Stoltz is the drug dealer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch her, and really that yeah the entire scene in the uh, the diner with watching her. And Travolta interact because it's like this sense of really awkward and even bring it up. She's like, don't you like that? Uh, that awkward silence. Mm-hmm. And she makes him think of something. You're just, yeah, the characters, yeah, the characters in this were just awesome. And it's a pretty good awesome. cast of characters, too. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, here you have John Travolta, who at this point was his last big thing was Greece. Right. Yeah. And he'd been basically written off as so long thanks for all the fish kind of guy is just mm-hmm. like bye bye and then suddenly appears as one of the title characters or not the title characters one of the main characters in here mm-hmm. um samuel I don't, l jackson is pulp and he's fiction. yes <laughs> uh, samuel l jackson was in what before this still relatively new though uh yeah but certainly this is a, a launching his diehard movie came out no uh, it came after after this right after yeah this. yeah after it uh, Uma Thurman, uh, this is probably the first time, I, I know this is the first, pretty much sure this is Big the first time I ever in, yeah. saw Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman in this kind of a movie. Harvey Keitel, of course, he's seen before. Tim Roth, we've seen before. Um, Amanda Plummer, I'm trying to remember. Oh, she was in The Fisher King that came out a year or two before this. Um, Samuel L. Jackson was in Sea of Love as Black Guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Before this? That was yes. his, oh, wow. Okay, so this was his first big thing. Um, um, let's see, uh, Mo Better Blues. So that's something. Okay. Uh, the Exorcist Three. Uh, he's in Goodfellas. Really? But clearly not in no, any sort of so major not role. In a major role. Uh, he was in Jungle Fever. So he was doing a bunch of Spike Lee stuff. Yep. Um, Have you watched Spike Lee stuff, Zach? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Looks like Juice. So. Um. And then eventually, I'm trying to see if there's anything else that was big. Oh, he was in Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, that's right. The year that's before right. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That's right. But really, as a minor character, he was the IT guy. Yeah. Yeah. But he gets he gets one he, of the best lines. Gets, yeah, yeah. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs> so the next big question then, Zach. Of yeah. course, this when this film was released, uh, critical success. I mean, both... The general public and critics were just like, this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the first 
like over two hundred million, wasn't it? First, like independent. Isn't that what I, I think I read that? Uh, it may have been. Huge. I don't know what kind of box office numbers that it got. Uh, um, this is saying two hundred thirteen million. Let's see. This says Pulp Fiction wound up grossing one hundred seven point nine million dollars at the U.S. box office, making it the first indie film to surpass one hundred million worldwide. Two hundred thirteen. Oh, okay. Um, 10th largest grossing film of 1994. And it did play on a lot fewer screens. And I'm trying to remember, I think Pulp Fiction was only here for a, a week or two because it was in and out. And again, when we would see it, hardly anybody in the theater, because Mm -hmm. again, in this region, something where you're talking about oral sex and blowing people's heads off and heroin use and glory. And really this film kind of glorifying those kinds of activities Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. does not play well in, uh, in, uh, middle America. So, um, it won't play in Peoria. No, or Russell, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so the big thing then Zach is what do you take away from this film? I mean, we've already kind of talked about that with kill bill, but what now influences you more (laughs) or less? Going forward. So, I don't know. It's so difficult because non-linear storytelling is obviously a takeaway from this movie. But I think you get into that space of, um, one, totally jacking up your story because you can't do it right. Right. Or... uh yeah, just doing it badly or like it's a like a riff on someone. Um but I think just looking of interesting ways to tell your story that you don't have to follow the strict five act or three act or whatever what do you want to do with your uh, with your story. Then editing was obviously pretty big on this. Just the um way they can it used I think fewer edits to still keep the pace of the film going by sticking on ca- uh, on the actors as they just gave their huge long quick dialogue bursts. Yeah, go back and watch that opening scene um where they're talking about uh, the royale with cheese when they're riding in the car. That's really two shots. Yeah. Maybe three. I don't remember if they do a uh a two through the window, but I know that they're doing some shots most of the time from Vincent's side of the window yeah. with Jules driving. And it is that one long take, mm-hmm. and the two are just popping back and forth with the dialogue. And that can, I think that can be rather hard for actors because usually they allow a little space in between their dialogue, so it makes editing a lot easier. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're t- telling people to talk over one another or overlap with one another, it creates that tension, that pace, that craziness that often occurs. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays out really, really well mm-hmm. here. What are the negative ro- negatives of this, Rodrigo? The negative influences on this? Well, I think that uh, there's not a lot of substance, honestly, to, to Pulp Fiction. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens, a mm-hmm. lot of awesome, um, you know, film complexities that go into it that make for a really compelling movie experience. But there's not a lot going on here, and I think that... Well, I mean, it's a noir tale, right? So it's bringing back that. It's got hyper-violence, hyper-sexuality, hyper-everything. Right, right, right. How can that be bad? Oh, that, I, I, I don't think that's bad, necessarily. What I'm saying is, what's the movie about? Okay. Like the, Good point. Exactly. Yeah. The, the movie's not actually about anything. Right. Um, and that kind of has, you know, because of movies like Pulp Fiction... 
that are all bang. Mm-hmm. Um, it it seems that it's created not just this movie, but um, I you know a lot of people could say that they've been like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas started this. Uh, you know, of movies that prize kind of action and um, spectacle over oh, right, substance. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And so we come up with that's a typical, like, what we call a popcorn movie, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Something like Transformers or Michael right. Bay films exactly, or, exactly. or whatever. Um, do you think that this has a negative, is there a negative influence on culture because of this? Uh, I, honestly, I don't think, nah, not really. I think that you're going to have, you know, people who are um, trying to be awesome gangsters no matter what. Mm-hmm. So whether they get that from Pulp Fiction or whether they get that from Hustle and Flow or wherever they get that from, right? they're going to get it from somewhere. Right. I don't think that Pulp Fiction itself negatively influenced our, like, culture any more than anything else i think it did influence culture oh sure 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 but i don't i don't think the influence is overall negative i i think it's palpable but it's not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i wouldn't say it's either positive or negative i think pulp fiction created this shared experience for everybody who went to see it and Mm -hmm. who has seen it since and it's a it's a just kind of a an important enough movie that we are still seeing kind of echoes of Pulp Fiction and other things. Oh, yeah. You know, references to it, um, it, you know, attempts to capture that, um, any given aspect of it. You mm-hmm. know, the violence, the dialogue, mm-hmm. the out-of-time, the out-of-sync storytelling, all of that you know, stuff a, we're still a, seeing. You know, there's a very specific look to the film, and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I guess it has to do with who you have as your cinematographer your director mm-hmm. of photography in these pieces but oftentimes when i think of genre type films when i think of star wars mm-hmm. i don't think of the um the darkish tones that we see in empire strikes back and return of the jedi i see this 70s it's the, the hardest thing i've tried to explain it before the 70s gloss mm-hmm. that's painted over the the 77 star wars film right where it has this very unique look to it. Right. And then the very next year when you see Empire Strikes Back, everything looks clean and pretty and – or not a year later, but you know, three years later in, mm-hmm. in 80. Uh, everything has this clean, shiny kind of glow to it. Right. Uh, maybe maybe because more of the, of the special effects uh, seep in. When I think of 80s type movies, I always think of that same glossy look that we see in um, Back to the Future, mm-hmm. right? And to me, I don't care if we're talking about – uh, lethal weapon or we're talking about whatever to me they all have that same kind of look see and that's and that's interesting because you know you kind of went through the 80s right and saw that happen yeah and there's kind of a difference between those movies and some other movies that were coming out in the 80s right because like when i think of blade runner mm-hmm. i don't think of that clean look like but blade it, runner is really gritty and nasty yeah, but not and like in the, but not in the not in the story though i mean not in the visual look of the film Look at, I mean, it's not grainy gritty. It's not, it is. Yeah, it's very, glowy. It's glowy. It's got very specific lighting to highlight specific things. Mm-hmm. It's got a, it does have a gloss to it, even though everything, and it's probably because it's raining all the time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it has a very specific gloss to it. When you look at Brazil, it has the same yeah. kind of feel to it. Um, it's, it's kind of weird. A lot of people have been doing these. Yeah, the, the 80s were definitely really blue. 
Yes. Like if you look yeah. at a lot, uh, and all I was the just movies gonna, done in the 80s, I was just gonna everything's say, blue. You can go online now, and Zach, if, if you're ever looking at color theory and, and wondering about um, what colors influence a movie or what color palettes influenced a movie, there's this project, and I don't know who does it or what group of people do it, but what they do is they take every scene of the film and they take a sample. Every shot of the film they sample and they set them side by side and just run them into one giant wraparound piece. Mm -hmm. And then from that, they can run a computer program that extracts the primary colors that it finds. Look, you know, you know those pictures where it's made up of a million other little pictures? Yeah. It's kind of like that. The computer looks at this from a thousand foot view and says, well, here are the primary colors that are used in this piece. And mm -hmm. you're right. When you look at films from the 80s, it's a lot of blue. Mm -hmm. And when you look at films from the 90s, to me, it feels like there's always a lot of red mm -hmm. and a lot more green mm -hmm. yep. in the films from the 90s. And when you look at Pulp Fiction, it's all about the reds and yeah. the greens. Red is a huge influence in this movie. Blood is a huge influence in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's probably a tie between those two. From the candy apple cigarettes that Bruce Willis smokes to the bar that Wallace owns to the blood to the um, just everything in that film is got this red tint to it. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, that kind of, to me, permeates a lot of what the 90s is about. Go look at um, what's the big gangster movie that came out in the uh, early to mid 90s, the uh, long tracking shots and Boogie Nights. <laughs> well, Boogie Nights is a two is a is a uh, late 90s. Mm. Uh, that's the same way. Um, Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a 90s film. Right. Pretty sure. I don't remember. Look I'll, it up real quick. It up. But it's the same way. It kind of has this red look to everything. Yep, 1990. Yeah. So you could you could get away with either calling it a 90s movie or an 80s movie. It's well, it's real close because mm -hmm. again, you look at Empire Strikes Back, and it has that same look to it mm -hmm. uh, in the 80s. And uh, you know, as the typical, how do you define that? Is it a, a 70s look or an 80s look? And it really, to me, defines an 80s look. Yeah. So you see this, and 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 so color, I think, plays a big role in how you approach something. And um, when I look at the films of the 2000s, it kind of has like a washed out hazy blue to a lot of the films of the 2000s. Think yeah. of the color palette that you see in um, in Memento. Yep, definitely Memento. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like if you, well, if you look at movies like Memento or Requiem for a Dream or stuff mm -hmm. like that, like the whole movie's just blue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, well, I don't know. I mean, the and Matrix, you, to, you know, it, the Matrix is green. Green, yeah. right. Yeah, and um, I guess you could look I, at that I think, faded out. I, I think the 90s was a time for, like, like a movie would, like, pick a color and stick with it yeah, more yeah. more than yeah. necessarily there being a, a color that informed mm -hmm. all of the movies, like the way that, seriously, everything in the 80s was blue. Right. When you look at, um, yeah, and, and I mean, when you look, yeah, green and, and blues are an influence, mm -hmm. but it seems like as you move into the late 2000s, Gold is a big influence in a lot mm -hmm. of movies, and you see that kind of a glowish, warm color that permeates mm -hmm. a movie. So looking at a color palette, I think, Zach, would be something that you might want to kind of pay attention to, because that tells you a lot about what's going on. Matrix is a good example, where when you're in the Matrix, uh, everything yeah. has a green shift. When you're out of the Matrix, everything has a blue shift. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think color. I forget how we got off on this ta tangent, but uh, I don't know. Uh -huh. it, it certainly has a look... That I just kind of I think we we're just talking about the influence right, right, right. on yeah, the culture yeah. and then we kind of right. got into yeah. that. So, um, are you going to take anything else away besides story and snappy dialogue and and long takes and 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 whatnot? 
I'm sure there is. I just need to watch it again. Is this one? Taking, well, I, you, you I had, to watch it you've again. had several days to let this digest in your head. Yeah, I've been busy with stuff. Do you do you find yourself reflecting on movies that have an influence on you? Yeah. Do you sit there? I mean, I'm kind of this way. I remember the first time I saw The Game, which in itself isn't a great movie, except for the hook at the end that makes you reconsider everything else that you just saw. But I remember several days later, I'm still thinking about that film and going, I oh was, my gosh. I was, I was thinking about Wreck-It Ralph for like a week afterwards. Really? How come? Yeah. There was just like... All, not only like all of the little video game references, but they're just so like the movie is really tightly written. Oh yeah, yeah. Like everything about it that seems random actually is relevant to the plot, which is actually kind of what always annoyed me about those auteur mm-hmm. movies from the early '90s that mm-hmm. they had a lot of extraneous stuff that doesn't advance the plot. Right. Like Wreck-It Ralph is actually a great example of how everything that happens on screen is there to advance the plot, yeah, even if it looks to be completely yeah. over oh look at this wacky video game character like that character's reaction to whatever's happening at the time informs what is happening right right um and so on and so forth so yeah i actually really enjoyed wreck it ralph oh yeah we watched it again uh, this past weekend my son mm-hmm. was just like mom dad let me watch wreck it ralph again and i was like oh that's great um so and for listeners you know this is a this is not just rodrigo and i talking you know we're trying to share some thoughts and ideas and cram them into zach's head mm-hmm. so that he can become Influenced by the filmmaker we want him to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. But here's a cool thing, Rodrigo. I've actually seen a recent thing that Zach did that's heavily, to me, heavily influenced by a movie that we've already talked about. Oh, nice. Alien? No. No. Uh, you know, uh, you know this Vine app? Have mm-hmm. you seen this? You know what that's about? Yeah. So it's Vine like is so where many you just, seconds of... yeah, you get like six seconds of whatever. Mm-hmm. And I guess most people are putting up their dogs farting or whatever for six seconds and yep. it just continuously loops but zach explain how this vine app works i mean is it just yeah. six seconds and that's it i mean there's no editing right right no 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 going into the video you're shooting and editing so what vine is is you decide hey i want to film something so you pull up the you pull up the app and you line up your shot and you press the screen and as long as you're pressing the screen it's going to record when you let off it's done then you can shift to something else and Touch the screen, and you calling touching the screen. It's gonna record, and you can record and record and record. Then you have six seconds, and you can watch the bar fill up. And then once it's done, you can play it back, and you just watch the thing loop. It's just continuing a loop of the movie. So you can think of fun things to do or or stupid things to do, and it's just gonna continue sure. looping. Sure. So um, I did not realize Zach is is such a hipster that he still listens to vinyl. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so I just got it for last Christmas. Zach uh, put up a. Um, a piece, a little Vine clip, this past weekend? Was it Friday or something? Because um, I know I told you about it on Saturday. Yeah, it would have been Friday. Okay. So he put up this little piece last week, and um, and it's him taking the record off the shelf, putting on the platter, taking the needle off, putting the needle on, and the music playing. All in six seconds. And so he's done some very clever editing. But what makes the piece play off is, from the audio standpoint... There is a rhythm to this edit that just mm-hmm. goes, whatever the music that you were playing. Fleet Foxes. And where do you think that that's an influence from? Or at least I perceived it to be that way. Shaun of the Dead. Yes, Shaun of the Dead. Congratulations, <laughs> Rodrigo. Thank, yep. you. Thank you. Pie. Yes, I mean, absolutely. It is absolutely. I watched that and I was like, oh my gosh. There's Pi being influenced into this. Now, I don't know if that was a direct influence, Zach. Fleet, or... Fleet Foxes press return. <laughs> what, I mean, did you 
consciously think about that as you were putting this little vine piece together, or were you just like, eh, a second here, a second no, here, a second here, a second here, it's done? Yeah, uh, it started that way when I was starting on it. I was just like, hey, I'm just going to film some stupid and see what happens. And then I was like, you know, I just watched this movie and I have six seconds, which is really, it's a considerable amount of time if you it just do something quick. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, six seconds is six a long, is long time. time. So I was like, well, I can actually do something with this if I just think about it for more than that. And then, mm-hmm. so I'll think, hey, I'm going to put a record on my, well, let's just shoot a vine real quick and see what i can do and you chick chick doom 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 and sometimes it'll, it'll work well enough i'm like yeah that's good enough and if i don't like it i'll just do it again because it's mm-hmm. not taking me a horrible lot of time right yeah so it's definitely but did, did you allow the audio to play a part in that or were you just thinking visual because that's no. to me audio. that's where it kind of came across yeah is because you hear the album being pulled out of mm-hmm. the stack the yeah it's nice sound. and then like you hear the platter yeah then you hear the click of the of the arm being taken off and yeah. locking, the needle going down and the initial, ksh, mm-hmm. and then the playing. cut to the play. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's just like that quick. And I was like, wow, what a wonderful rhythm that was created in this. And especially mm-hmm. on Vine, it doesn't loop perfect. I mean, it's not a perfect loop, it's right? It's not a perfect loop. But when you watch it and you watch it loop, there's this hypnotic yeah. rhythm to what's going on with that. And to me, if subconsciously uh, Pi had that influence on you, mm-hmm. then our job is, is is working, right, Rodrigo? I mean, that's the whole point. If, oh, if you're looking at something and saying, how does this influence my work, mm-hmm. whether I'm aware of it or not, mm-hmm. I think is a, is a good thing. So congratulations to Thank Zach. You. Go, Zach. Plus, you. you know, being Thank influenced you. by Pi is better than most of my influences, which are like... I, I've been influenced tar- by Pi for a long time. <laughs> yes. That's why I'm as big as I am. Um, like Target commercials... Yeah, and like Target commercials. 90s music videos. <laughs> so, like, if you watch my stuff on TV, it's like, that's a 90s Target commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a, a lot cleaner, but... What's that uh, Norwegian singer's name? Uh, Bjork. 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 If yes. you watch her stuff. Bjork videos. That has a big influence more than you know. Maybe not in your stuff, but right. I'm, I'm saying when you watch a Bjork video, you're just like, oh, I can see how that influences... Oh, yeah. What's the... Uh, uh, what's that uh, band... Crap it. They did that uh, George Millay's uh, Trip to the Moon in their video. Oh, the Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, oh. You can tell that a lot. some of their stuff visually is influenced by Bjork videos. Now, I've never gone in to look and see who's directed or who was the, the visual creative on, mm-hmm. on those. But when I watch some of those Smashing Pumpkins ones, I'm like, this is borderline stuff you'd see in a, in a Bjork video. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good job, Zach. So Thank bottom you. line, did you like Pulp Fiction, yay or nay? Yeah. It's a really good, really just a solid movie experience. I wish I could see it on a theater screen. It's just one of those movies that I would like to just watch on a just way too big a screen that I can possibly fit into my house. And wow, just like a alone. giant screen possibly in a home theater system Yeah, right next door? Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, listeners, if you want to go pick up this film, if you haven't already... Head over to Majorspoilers.com, click on that click on that Amazon.com link, and buy away. Next week, Zach, are you ready for another film that's going to put me to sleep? I don't I don't want to say it's going to put you to sleep. Um, but of its time period in films like it, it's pretty typical of that kind of film. We are going into the Western genre next week. Again. We are going to take a look at the Magnificent Seven, a film that did have its influences in wherever we started this journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Magnificent yeah, yeah, Seven, yeah. we loop around and finish out uh, this big looping. 
Um, and it also is a mashup and a lead into some Asian uh, films from Asia. Sweet. Uh, Magnificent Seven, if you've not seen, is a Western remake of um, The Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. So if you've seen The Seven Samurai. Nope. Okay. Um, then you kind of know what's going on. And Seven Samurai, for listeners, is on the list. And uh, I would say in this case, you you need to watch Magnificent Seven first and then go and yeah. watch I, I Seven think, Samurai. I think either way is fine. You'll get something different out of the experience. Oh, yeah. both ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, as I've said before. And then A Bug's Life. Don't do that. No, I, I mean, like I do. do it. Do it on your like own time. Life. No, no, seriously. I mean, yeah. if you look at remakes yep. and maybe we'll have a whole future Zach on film just about remakes. Seven Samurai did it first. Magnificent Seven did it next. Uh, Bugs Life did it, mm-hmm. and then of course George Lucas did it in uh, in that uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars episode. It's yep. totally oh, from yeah. that. And and there have been a thousand versions of the Magnificent. Seven. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, s- uh, what is it? Uh, Samurai the, Samurai the Three Seven. Amigos. The Three Amigos there, did. There was there was a <laughs> literal anime um, remake of the Seven Samurai called Samurai Seven. Oh really? In which some of the samurai are uh, Space robots. Robots. Yes. Okay. All right, listeners, that wraps it up for this uh, installment of Zach on Film, Major Spoilers, Issue 510. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for everyone that comments and and uh, appreciates what we're doing uh, with this. Hopefully, you're learning a little bit from this. Zach, are you continuing to learn? All the time. All right, we will spin this off into its own show uh, in the very near future that you will be able to download and listen to in its very own feed. Or what I might suggest, for those of you that want to listen to more shows, from the Major Spoilers Podcast Network is go over to iTunes or head over to Majorspoilers.com. Uh, you will be able to get the RSS feed, or you can go into iTunes and look for Major Spoilers Podcast Network, where every single show we produce is in one giant master feed, and you can have access to everything anytime. Thank you once again, Rodrigo, for being here. Thank you, Zach, for being here. And listeners, thank you for being here. And until next time, I don't know what to, what's a good closer for Zach on film. Zach on film. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save some bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the rack. And although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he'd make me wait out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Oh, wait, I think I found a better way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would you bag and board your comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a major spoiler. Major spoilers is copyright 2013. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.